Welcome to this edition of the Southside Light News Podcast, a weekly discussion of politics and policy centering on Corpus Christi, Nueces County, and our entire region. This podcast is produced by the Southside Light News for informational and educational purposes. Questions, comments, and topics are chosen directly by the Southside Light News staff, and guests do not pre-screen questions or topics ahead of time. The Southside Light News Podcast is made possible by our individual and business members who contribute to our work and our mission to be a nonpartisan, unbiased source of news and information and data that encourages thoughtful civic engagement in our community. To learn how you can become a member or financial supporter of the Southside Light News, please email me, matt at mattpierceblog.com. A keynote sponsor of this week's podcast is Skyroom, the ultimate Wi-Fi hotspot for work, study, or play. Learn more about Skyroam by visiting www.skyroam.com for more information. That's www.skyroam.com for more information. Joining me this week is Corpus Christi City Council member Greg Smith, who represents District 4. Councilman Smith is running as the incumbent candidate for District 4 seat. He'll face Dan Grimsbo, Jim Klein, and Kalen Paxson in November's general election. During his hour-long interview, Councilman Smith discusses issues such as economic development, transportation, and homelessness. He also discusses his thoughts on the 2020 ballot proposal and citywide issues such as North Beach and desalinization. Now, our interview with Councilman Greg Smith. Councilman, are you with me? I'm with you, Matt. How are you doing today? Doing good. Doing really good. So, um, again, I am Matt Pierce Briscoe. I'm the publisher and managing editor of the Southside Light. This is our podcast where we're going to be bringing it to you each and every week. Joining us this week is City Councilman from District 4, Corpus Christi City Councilman from District 4, uh, running for office again. He's the incumbent candidate, Councilman Greg Smith. Councilman, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, good to be on the show, Matt. Yeah, so so it's a real pleasure to have you. Uh, let's jump right into it. Councilman, tell me, uh, tell the voters uh, about Greg Smith and why you're running again, and give us a little background on yourself. Okay, well, uh, I'm a, a born and raised in Corpus Christi. I'm actually a, a fifth generation on it, Matt. And I've ter- served two terms as a district council for city council member on it. And uh, I'm running for the third that uh, under our city charter, you can have up to four terms uh, with it. So this would be the third time running. And uh, after my kids grew up, I've really started devoting myself to the community and giving back. And it's, it's important for me growing up in Corpus Christi that we have a good economy and we have a, a city that's going places on there, 21st century. And most importantly, we have jobs and opportunity for our kids, the generations coming up. And when I say kids, uh, I, I'm, 68, so 40, 40 something are kids. Sure. But I, yeah. You know, it, it, it's so important for our community that we have a, a healthy community economically and also 
one of the critical elements of our community is that we maintain what we are as a city. We love our environment. Uh, we, we love our beaches, our bays, our ranches, those kind of things. So we, we have a growing committee, uh, a growing city, but maintaining that South Texas lifestyle that we all love. Councilman, let me ask you, what does, let's just jump right into that. What does a, uh, what does a prosperous Corpus Christi look like to Greg Smith? Multiple on there. Number one, you have jobs, not just cheap minimum wage jobs, but good jobs that you can raise a family on, you can live comfortably <clears throat> with and, and have a, a good lifestyle. Uh, that's number one. Number two, like I said, we need to have a city like we are, that we don't sell ourselves, so to speak, and, and bring in jobs that are detrimental to our lifestyle and our way of life here. What kind of jobs would those be? What, what kind of job would be detrimental to our lifestyle and our way of life here in Corpus? Well, you can bring some industries in that, uh, and by that it's individual companies that don't have a good track record, that haven't been responsible on there, that uh, they're dirty companies, uh, <laughs> lack of a better word, and, and we don't want those. Uh, up and down the Texas coast, is across the nation, that uh, we were a great place to be. So we need to kind of pick and choose who we have and, and who we don't have. Would you would you support going after? And I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying the discussion started, but would you suggest going after something like an Amazon, which is an emerging company focusing a lot on some of the outlying cities like Pflugerville? Sure, would you right, suggest going after something like that? I, that, that's a great question. Uh, on the face of it, yes, I, but I like to do my homework and I want to make sure that the Amazon jobs that we would get would be good jobs with it, that, uh, you know, jobs that you can uh, raise a family with. Well, and if, I think one just of minimum wage type jobs, no. Sure. And, and, but on the flip side of that, one of your, and I'm going to go a little political here with this, but one of your opponents recently suggested that it's time that we bring, or he, he said this, uh, that it's time that we raise the minimum wage here in Corpus Christi to $15 an hour. Now, the nuts and bolts of that to me doesn't make sense because some businesses just, just can't afford that. But that's not what you're talking about, just to be clear. You do not want to raise the Corpus Christi minimum wage to $15 an hour. Well, we, we use the federal minimum wage on there. Matt, I am not mm -hmm. aware of uh, within our charter if, if we even have that ability uh, to do that. Let's talk a little bit about your, your district specifically, District 4. It, it's, a, uh, it's a dichotomous district, right? You, you stretch all the way from the Ocean Drive area out to the island, right? Uh, that's right. It's, and, a, it's a great district. It's a a marathon long, 26 miles long. Sure. It starts at the Port Aransas city limits on Mustang Island, goes all the way to Louisiana Street on uh, Ocean Drive. And, and let's let's start right there, Councilman. Louisiana Street City Council just this past week um, approved some improvements to Ocean Drive, right from Louisiana down in that area, right, Robert? I think it was all the way practically down, and it, it is all the way down to Ennis Jocelyn. And that, that's right. It is the whole stretch, Matt. And we are. That's a game changer, isn't it? 
It, it is. If you've driven down that street lately, it is just an embarrassment. And Ocean Drive, we, we all know to the city, it's our signature street. Mm-hmm. And th- this is where you bring your visitors on there. You want to just enjoy a nice ocean drive with it. But the pavement conditions become s- such that you're watching for potholes rather than taking advantage of that ambiance. And we were doing ocean drive in little sections at a time, but we were completely going, redoing everything, start every pipe, every tube, everything. It was slow. It was very expensive. It's a, a big change. What we're doing now, Matt, is we're just redoing the pavement surface. We're not going to all those expensive and time-consuming underground portions. So we're able to do it uh, with it in my lifetime. Now, when yeah. I, I, I joined council, it, it was how can we get Ocean Drive done at our rate? It's not going to be finished in my lifetime. So by doing this, we're, we're going down six inches and putting six inches of brand new asphalt on it. It'll be a new riding surface and, and good as new. And the last time that that was done, not a, not a patch or not just a simple overlay, which we've, we've done over the years, but this mm-hmm. full reconstruction was back in the late 60s, uh, almost 60 years ago. And, and you and I had this conversation the other day when, when I was talking to you on the phone. Um, going back to how long it's going to take, you say it's not going to, it will be done within our lifetime. Uh, we're talking six, eight months, a year down the road, right? I mean, this will be a beautiful stretch of road in just a few months, right? That, that's right. It, it'll be relatively quick. Anytime you're dealing with a contractor, you never know for sure. And uh, they'll be closing off lanes at a time. They're not going to do the whole thing and uh, close it down, but they'll be doing one side of the uh, road on it, do that whole section, then come back and do the other side. And they'll be doing it in one to two mile segments. So as we go through the construction process, uh, only one to two miles is going to be affected at any point in time with it. And then that section will go down to one lane with it, and then it'll open back up. So it'll be a clean, efficient, useful construction project. Uh, that's right. It, it won't be you're looking for detours and getting backed up to Kingdom Come and National Seashore on it. Uh, and we're not breaking the bank to do it, right? Uh, very important. This is a $10 million project. And uh, we spend that much money on a uh, two-mile segment where we're doing 14 miles with this because we're not doing that full reconstruction that we've done in the past. And Ocean Drive is not the only major thoroughfare in your district that's getting some attention. Laguna Shores, that's a keystone project in District Laguna 4. Laguna Shores is, is very important, Matt. And this is a project that's been on the back burner for way too long. The road condition, the pavement condition on it is one of the worst in the city. And it's held back that area. We think about Laguna Shores, if we're looking ahead, Here's all Laguna Madre waterfront property on there on just an absolutely horrible street. And uh, there are nice houses and and, uh, businesses being built on there in spite of this street. So once we get that pavement condition and rebuilt and Laguna Shores floods, it's low. Mm -hmm. 
with it. And part of this project, we raised that so we're outside of that uh, flooding envelope on it. So it'll be a much better street and our, our tax uh, base will rise because of it. How do we know, and this may be an engineering question, and I don't know if the city has gotten into that, but how do we know that once we get Laguna Shores built up, the was 18 to 21 inches, whatever it is. Yeah. Over time, obviously it's going to settle. What is the life expectancy of this road? When, once well, we two, get this completed. Two feet buys us a lot of time, Matt. If we mm-hmm. stretch back the last hundred years, we've seen about uh, one foot of, of sea level rise with it. So just based on that, we're raising it two feet. That, that buys us 50 years and we build these roads to 30 year uh, pavement quality. So if it's 50 years from now, if it needs to be raised some more then it can be raised some more. And technically Laguna Shores councilman is listed officially as a parkway, correct? And that's very important. That's a very important designation for this, right? Yeah, that is. And and Laguna Shores is, is unique and, because it goes through a lot of wetlands. So as, as we were doing this reconstruction on there, we, we had to work around that, uh, some sidewalks, things we'd like to do. We were limited on what we could do because it goes through some sensitive environmental areas. And, and a lot of that is right there along Redhead Pond between Hustlin' Hornet and Caribbean right in that area, right? That, that, that's absolutely correct. That That is the preponderance of it. Uh, once we get past Caribbean uh, on there, then it's it's all uplands. And, and, that. And, and this could be an economic game changer for your district, specifically Flower Bluff, right? Well, it, it's a project that I really like because it has other elements to there. In that area, we've got three tidal uh, ponds with it. And when I say mm-hmm. ponds, that's a little bit of misnomer because I'm talking about a mile and a half long mm-hmm. altogether. One of them's owned by Flower Bluff School. The other is owned by Texas Parks and Wildlife, known as Redhead Ponds. And then there's a pond in the middle. And uh, we've got grant money to go ahead and acquire that, bring them all together. And Redhead Pond is, is called that because redheads, even though they're a saltwater duck, they need fresh water. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that pond was fresh, but over time it's changed and now it's salt. And as part of this project, the mitigation on it, we're diverting some stormwater flows, just some drainage on there on the ditches after rains to put it in that pond to bring it back fresh, to bring those redheads back in, in something that uh, give back to our, our nature and our environment. What, um, Looking forward with, with this, and I'm not going to spend a whole, whole lot of time on, on Laguna Shores project, but that that project in and of itself, that was voter approved. They The, the voters obviously wanted this. Um, there is going to be some, I guess, looking at the ADP, the, the area yeah. development plan, th- there's going to be some eventual commercial development, I guess, multifamily residences, some different things going in down there. In 10 years from today, what do you think Laguna Shores Road Parkway will look like? It'll be a very different street, Matt, and this is what's going to kick it off. Uh, we, we do have some nice homes going in along <coughs> there, but we also have, just call it, let's call it blight, uh, Laguna <laughs> Shores 50. These are old homes that uh, were built way too low. 
and uh, as as we see property values go up, that has a habit of just paying taxes on that land, driving that out, and and getting some quality homes there. And so it's got some commercial uh, potential, whether uh, some multifamily or uh, other other kinds of restaurants, things like that, because we know everybody goes out to Snoopy's uh, on the island, what a great success is. And there at the end of Laguna Shores, you have Bluff Landing. And that, that's been a really nice complex there. And uh, at Caribbean and Laguna Shores, a, a new RV park has gone in. A lot of people don't like RV parks, but I've been to this one. It's absolutely first class uh, with it. It's, it's helpful to the economy and, and to the area. And that's, that is leading to my next question, because looking at the development, we're talking about the development of, of Laguna Shores, and we're talking with Corpus Christi City Councilman Greg Smith from District 4. Um, looking at that, that whole ball of wax, that whole development, the, taking into consideration Flower Bluff, and we'll get on the island here in a minute, but looking at just Flower Bluff and the area development plan, that's been put out. I think there were 400 and some odd people respond to a survey on that. Um, <clears throat> looking at the future economic development plan, you and I have had this discussion before. Access is a huge issue. Getting people to get off the freeway, stop into Flower Bluff, stay in Flower Bluff longer than just go to the big box retailers. Um, Councilman, what do you do to encourage that those tourism dollars and that that economic development that way in Flower Bluff? Well, number one, we need a little better access. When they uh, turned SPID to a freeway, that limited the access uh, to that very important business corridor. So the, the businesses along there, uh, we've seen a decline in that. So working with TxDOT to in, improve that access is one. And as we go forward, a bit of a cleanup. Flower Bluff has a homeless issue, and this mm -hmm. is a very difficult issue, but we need to do everything we can homeless-wise because they're in that corridor on there. If, if a business is marginal and, and you have these other issues with that, that that's very detrimental to those businesses. And, and you bring up the homeless issue. And that's a sensitive subject with a lot of people because either way you look at this, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? That, that that's that's right. It, it's a very difficult topic. And to expand on that, Matt, yeah, two things: we have a responsibility of a community to take care of our own. That that's that's important. That's that's just what we need to do. But on the other side. We can't solve the nation's homeless problem. And about 70% of the homeless here in Corpus Christi came from the outside. And the more services we have to this population, the best example is on the West Coast. The more you spend on homelessness, the more you get it, uh, with it. We need to be working on our own, you know, particularly the, the type of, of people, and there's a several different groups of homelessness. So you, you take the single mom or the families that have become on economic hardship, they're living out of their car uh, with it. They, they just 
don't like what they're in, you know, it, those are our own. It's so important that, that we provide them that helping hand to get back on their feet and, and get going. And then we have another group that is the, they have mental issues on there right? and, and you have a lot of drug and alcohol ad, ad, addictions with it. We need to be working on that. But we have also a large body for whatever reason that uh, that's a little bit of a lifestyle choice. Uh, mm-hmm. with and, and that's where we see at, we're at Corpus Christi is a collecting ground for homelessness. And we shouldn't be doing the things that encourage that, that brings more and more of that in. Growing up and living in Flower Bluff, I, I've seen what it's done to our community, and it's not good, man. What should we do, Councilman? We've got to be very careful in, in how we, we treat this. And we're, we're walking a, a very fine line. So if, if we're doing things that, that provide a lot of service to the, the group of homeless that is coming from out of town, out of state with it, and they are mm-hmm. uh, places that give bus tickets to come to Corpus Christi because we're on the homeless map with it that we need to be very careful with those services and, and what we're doing there that uh, we have some homeless because of their mental issues on there that we, we need to be taking care of them. We have some just, they break the law. Uh, we mm-hmm. were briefed one time at city council. We had one person in two years was arrested 166 times. And so we need to be working with the, the county on that, with our DA, that I, I don't care how you slice it. Somebody arrested 166 times. Mm-hmm. They, they just go in, they get booked, and they get left out on their personal recognizance bonds. As I'm talking to our citizens, has somebody got 166 traffic tickets in, in two years? Do you think they would just say, okay, it, it's all right, no harm, no foul? Sure. You know, just a, a minor violation on that. But we just absolutely turn and look the other way uh, with these lawbreakers, uh, lack of a better word. They may be trashing out somebody else's property, cutting fences. Uh, uh, Are you concerned that, they, that there's an internal power struggle going on amongst the homeless to where um, we see, we, we, we've seen it more and more, uh, these fires in the homeless camps out there in Flower Bluff. Uh, are, are you concerned that there could be, I guess, an internal power struggle, a, a territorial issue? You know, that's a, you as a councilman know this, that they are a subculture unto themselves. They're, they are a society. They're, they're mm-hmm. their own society. And I mean, they have, have a hierarchy they amongst have, themselves. They absolutely do. And, this is the nation's homeless problem where a lot of that hierarchical is, is coming uh, from other areas and not our own. It doesn't go into taking care of our own. It's, uh, you know, they're coming here from other areas, creating their hierarchy and uh, uh, obeying the law is not high on their priority list. If somebody thinks that the homeless community does not talk amongst themselves and that there is, for lack of better terms, an underground news group, if you will, a message group among the homeless, they are sorely mistaken because our homeless know where to go and they know what to do when they get there. They they are not totally uninformed citizens. 
No, they they are very informed on there. Most of them have phones, and uh, you know they a lot of times they're together with it. So yes, they they're very informed. And just in the last couple of weeks, so we've got Barisi Village there in Faro Valley. They're starting to do some work on that. Uh, they told me we went through a number of homeless camps there, and then Williams Ditch uh, area between mm-hmm. SPID and Ennis Jocelyn met yesterday we're trying to improve the drainage there a very important thing for the uh, uh, homeowners in that area but talking to the landowners they have homeless camps sitting in this area it's an environmentally sensitive area with it but it's got a lot of invasive brazilian peppers and you can actually on aerial see the trails going into the camp so we spent a fair amount of discussion time on that what can we do about these uh, encampments and that goes back to your economic and area development plan, because looking at the ADP there, uh, uh, area development plan for Flower Bluff and the Island in your district, it does call for some green space improvements, which is what your, your constituencies ask for. Um, obviously, you don't want these homeless people in there um, building encampments and burning them down and creating an unsafe environment in this newly constructed green space that's proposed in the ADP. Yes. So, so this is something you're going to have, Flower Bluff is going to have to address this and get a handle on it one way or another. Right. And uh, there's a lot of city involvement there. The, the city doesn't provide the social net uh, for this. That's generally done by others, but the city does enforce the laws and, uh, whether it's in our parks or, or trespass on private property. And uh, we do spend a lot of time and resources doing that. But where we have this merry-go-round, uh, you, you cite somebody and, and then nothing happens with it. it if, if the laws are, are ignored, what use are they? And, and that's what we've got right now with homelessness. What would you say to the people who, who hear that and they say, oh, that's, Greg Smith now he's being insensitive. He wants to kick the homeless out of the parks. Where else are they going to go? What would you you say to that objection, Councilman? Well, well number one, I'd, I'd go back. We've got to take care of our own. We we need to have that strong support structure with it. But we we've got to draw a line someplace and in in our spaces with it that these are spaces not for one particular group, but they are for all. And, and I've seen uh, where they become for, you know, the homeless. And, and that, I, I've got a niece that uh, we spent a half a million dollars on Parker Park with it and mm-hmm. concerned about taking her young children to play in Parker Park because being accosted by a certain segment of the society. And, I, and I'd like to see enforcement of that, that uh, if, you know, it just goes back to if you have bad behavior, behavior, uh, there needs to be some repercussions. And it, it's not that particularly so anymore with it. The bad behavior is, is looked over and made excuses about. Are you uh, l- looking at this and going back to the development uh, of Flower Bluff and the island? It, it's, if I look at the island and I look at... At Flower Bluff, I, I see two very, very different communities. Um, some people would argue that there is a disconnect between uh, within your district, between the island and Flower Bluff. Uh, 
how do you, how have you as councilman bridged the gap between the, those two demographics, those two very separate communities, or do you well, believe that there's use, a disconnect? I, I wouldn't use the word disconnect because, uh, Flower Bluff ends on there. All of Corpus Christi, the island is, is very much a part of our fabric with it. And uh, Bluff ends in general, if we're talking about the National Seashore pins on there uh, with it, it, it there, there's a very good, strong bond between the Bluff and the island with it. But they are, like you say, very separate communities as is town. So District 4, about a quarter of District 4 population is Mustang Pottery Island, a quarter is Flower Bluff, and a little few more live in Flower Bluff, and then the rest is is Corpus Christi proper. And you know, I've walked all the neighborhoods with it, and they are are very different. Uh, the island is a very social net uh, neighborhoods. Everybody knows everybody. It's kind of like neighborhoods used to be 75, 100 years ago. Uh, with it, you're, you're walking down, hey, come on over uh, and join us for the barbecue with it. The bluff is, is very eclectic. So depending on what part of the bluff in, you can find a uh, microsm of, of any neighborhood sitting in the bluff. But the bluff is all bluffians. And as part of that, there's a, a general much more respect in the bluff of the whole transect of our society with it, that uh, you have the different socioeconomic mm -hmm. groups fairly intertwined and the same with the school with it. I, I wanted my kids to go to Flower Bluff School for that reason so that they would see a, a good picture of the United States because that's what the bluff is because we go from the, the bottom levels uh, all the way to the tip top, but everybody, uh, works together and, and friends together and goes to school together with it. Uh, and and I, I graduated, it was like that when I graduated there 50 years ago. So I, 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 liked, I liked the bluff a lot, that community um, from that respect. Both the island and the bluff uh, have a true sense of, of nature and, and like you talked about the green spaces, the importance of our beaches with it, the bluff. You know, the island is the island. The bluff mm -hmm. is the peninsula. So the island is, is uh, you know, water on two sides, and the bluff has it actually on three. Mm -hmm. so, so both sides, are, you know, that water, the fishing, the beach is, is very important to both populations. And we're talking with Corpus Christi District 4 Councilman Greg Smith. Councilman, do you, going back to that, um, the island and the flower bluff do you ever become concerned that business and commerce is passing up flower bluff in favor of the island we see a whole lot of development going on on the island you have the starbucks you have the grocery store you have yeah. the the drainage retention pond going or the the water bridge out there you have a lot of development going on on the island you don't see much of that development going on in flower bluff are you concerned that flower bluff is getting passed up or places like the island? I, I don't think it's getting passed up because of the island, but it, it's just getting passed up because of these transportation issues with it. So I, yeah, I, I am concerned from that standpoint. I, I love to see what's going out on the island. They, 
the island has been a bedroom community and I've been involved in Port Aransas since 1996 and uh, Port Aransas is a community to, into itself mm -hmm. and that's beneficial and, and on the island uh, they're getting like the island is just getting a real grocery store it's not an HEB but for the first time now the bluff has a, a great uh, HEB uh, plus on there with it, uh, the island is getting more of the, the shops that you'd see in a tourist environment with it and, and a lot of good quality uh, local type restaurants. And that, that's one of the things in the bluff. I see these restaurants come and they just struggle mm -hmm. with it. That gets to our access points on there and how can we bring the bluff more to that level. And we, we go back to Laguna Shores. That could be a point. It's along the water. Bluff Landing has done very well there at the end. And over time, we've had a number of restaurants along Laguna Shores. But the, you know, that's one of the things that can be a magnet to uh, getting the other commercial development that we want to see. When Coming back to your ingress and egress point here with Flower Bluff, um, you, you really have two, two exit and entry points. You have Flower Bluff Drive, you have Waldron. I guess yeah. you could say you have the NAS Drive there, but that, that's more serviceable to the base. And then you have Yorktown. Yorktown's a very dangerous stretch of road. Uh, yeah. I, I think anybody who drives it would agree. You have a deer population out there. It's narrow. It's dark. It's dimly lit. Um, where, where where are we going with, with it heavily traveled? Where are we going with Yorktown? Well, we're not going any places where we're going, Matt. And we, we did our bond package on there, our 2020 bond package. And, and in my four years at city council, one of my greatest disappointments is when I saw that we did an extension of Rodfield Road where no road exists and there's currently at some point in time the, the state has got it on that network they'd pay for an extension mm -hmm. but how we could be doing that extension and not improving yorktown that is it, like you say it is unlit dangerous on there it's a narrow road that gets more and more traffic and we just kicked that can down the road for at least two more years on there where we're building a road that just isn't needed i i went in and when I got the brief on that, and that was my first comment. Why are we improving a road where we're building a road where we don't need when we desperately need uh, Yorktown improvement? And you're talking specifically for, for the people who may not know, you're talking about the extension out into Rod Field going out to the Oso that would eventually connect to the proposed regional parkway, right? When that's built in the next 20 years or so. Now, that, that particular section is on the highway department TxDOT's list to build at their expense or 80% of their expense in the future. But we're jumping ahead of them and we're gonna build it at 100% of the Corpus Christi taxpayers uh, instead of waiting the, the five or 10 years for TxDOT to come in and, and do it in their plan. It, it, to me, it, it, it was a tough one. And I voted against the entire bond package for that one reason. The rest of the bond package was good, but I, I just had a horrible time with this one. Councilman, in, in all fairness, I'm sure that 
Councilman Hernandez would would disagree with your point, and, and we know that he does disagree with your point. Um, why you voted against the whole bond package as a whole uh, because of this one road? Um, I, I believe his argument would say that uh, you know, and I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that there's no guarantee that the state would pay that money. Is there, is there some guarantee that the state would eventually put a road back in there and that the voters are being asked to approve a, a four, $4 million road or whatever it is uh, simply for the sake of development now, if there is no guarantee that the state is going to put that money in there? It, it is on the state's transportation plan. This is what the... The state uses to build future roads. It can be changed, Matt, on there. I'm not going to say it won't, but this is the state's midterm blueprint for building roads on there. So we, we could use the same argument for any state extension any place else. Nothing is sure in life, but this is a pretty, pretty solid one. You would have rather, and I believe Mayor McComb. Also, and it, it, folks will remember here a few weeks ago when this was debated in council, uh, that there was a pretty heated debate over this. And Mayor McComb was vocally objected to, to this road to nowhere out where he said, I think something like jackrabbits and mesquites live or something. Yeah. Um, this, you would have rather, just to be clear, you would have rather seen that money not necessarily brought to your district, but used to improve Yorktown in some way, shape, or form. You think that would have been a better spent? Yes, and, and this has this road and Which the Yorktown extension is, is all, it, it's all in, in District 5, Matt. So mm -hmm. it's in the district. That stretch of Yorktown that I would have liked to seen improved, the Starry Road, has five subdivisions that are feeding into this overcrowded, dark, narrow road so it would have been a great improvement for district five on there and and this and just to be clear going back to that that money would have stayed in councilman hernandez's district oh yeah uh, it would not have gone to benefit greg smith uh, in, in his district it, it would have stayed in district five and it was just a if you were going to educate the voters it, it's a bad move you would not, you're not supporting this, are you? No, I, like I say, I, it caused me a lot of a heartburn. I, I pride myself on doing my homework and, and trying to do the things that are most cost efficient for our citizens on there. And a, a road that's heavily used and in poor condition is, is a much better use of our taxpayers' dollars than spending on a road that we're going to have textile pay for it anyway in the future that has, you know, really very little need. Hey, Councilman Greg Smith, I, I'm going to switch gears to a more citywide issue now. Okay. And, and we're going to talk a, a little bit of uh, just a couple of citywide issues that, that are hot button issues. Um, first off, desal. Yes. A couple of weeks ago, the city approved a low interest, what was $11 million loan for desal for, for the engineering permitting and all that stuff for the desal. In no way, shape, or form did the city, in your opinion, commit fully to going with desal. Now that, that's correct. And I said at the time of the vote, it's very important we move forward on this and we get our permits. But 
if we were voting for building the plant today, uh, I wouldn't be voting for it because we still have a road to travel down. Uh, in saying this, Matt, there's, it is so important for our economy, for our city, and for our citizens that we have a dependable supply of water. We're in a droughty area with it, and desal is a, is a good option. I actually made the motion in 2017 that our next water supply is drought resistant, which desal is, is drought resistant. We don't have to be sitting worrying about a drought with it. But at this point in time, what we have done is to get the necessary permits, the land, you have to own the land to get a permit for, and some of the pre-engineering for those permits to build plants if we need them. And the quantity is 77,000 acre feet. And to put that in perspective, Matt, right now we're using a little over 100,000 acre feet a year. So by getting these permits, we're buying ourselves decades of potential water supply so that future councils could sit there and we have, as demand grows up and our population increases and water demand is gonna grow on there, it, it will be easy to add on to our water supply. So that, that's what I was voting for is to get the permits to secure 77,000 acre feet of future water supplies. And one thing to remember, a council 25 years ago, they did the same thing with Garwood. It took 20 years before we needed Garwood uh, with it. This is water that comes out of uh, the Colorado River on there. So the fact that we're looking ahead and, and securing permits now doesn't mean we're gonna build it now. And, and let me ask you this. This is a big, big argument. Now I've got your, um, I'm sitting here looking in front of, for the past uh, all six or seven of them here, and I've got them right here in front of me. Your, your campaign finance reports. Greg yeah. Smith, are you, to those that would say Greg Smith is just being bought off by the industrial partners to, to see to it that they get some water, what would you say to them? Well, when I first ran in 2016, my own personal campaign rules, I had a max of $500 and also a qualification. You did no business with the city of Corpus Christi, whether it's developing, building, constructing, engineering, anything else on it. There, my maximum contribution was zero. Uh, uh, and I turned probably three times the money away with it, and I took no money from PACs. If you were a PAC, you're off the list. 2018, I took no money, period. Currently, that's that's where I am in, in 2020. Mm -hmm. I can't promise you, uh, you know, campaigns sometimes can be expensive. If I change, I'll go back to that rule I had in two, 2016. If, if you do business with the city of Corpus Christi, or I think you're going to do business with the city of Corpus Christi, I don't want your money. And so we can put Councilman Greg Smith, District 4, on the record of saying that he is not taking money from the industrial customers that would benefit from desal. Absolutely not. And with, with desal, right, my, yeah, my, go ahead. My, my, my one thing is to bring in the lowest cost water that we can bring in possible, Matt. Will it raise the water bill? Will it raise people's water bill? It depends on the size of the plant. 
we, we've discussed a 20 million gallon a day plant with being the first plant. That's 22,000 acre feet per year. Well, again, we're permitting for 77,000. That would have a nominal increase on the bill. If we build a smaller plant on there, it would be rate neutral. And why? Because uh, the county a drought contingency surcharge. What this is, is large water users pay extra. They pay 25 cents a thousand gallon more uh, surcharge on there, and that's industry with it, and it's going to a fund. It can only be spent for new water supply. It's bringing in about three and a half million dollars a year right now, Matt. It's just going sitting in the bank with it uh, as we have commitments to two new industries on there, Steel Dynamics and Gulf Coast Joint Ventures. That'll raise that number up to about $5 million on there. And we could build a 10 MGD plant, pay for it. Uh, bar, we'd borrow the money, but we could make the payments out of that uh, industry-funded drought surcharge plant. So at it, it, that point in time, a, a residential user would see no rate impact. So to use one of the other councilmen or council members, I should say, to use the argument from, from Ms. Wajardo, Councilwoman Wajardo, she's not going to have to go back and explain a massive rate increase to her parents. No, uh, she talked about she couldn't explain a rate increase when we voted for the $11 million. Staff was asked the question, what is the effect on rates if we borrow this $11 million. The answer was no effect on rates because that can be paid for out of that drought surcharge fund. And we've got, uh, I think, $6 million sitting in it right now, and we have another water development fund with $12 million. Why we borrowed the money? The interest rates are ridiculously low, 1.5%. And, and there were what? So, nine uh, of these types of loans that were sent out by the Texas Water. Was it nine? Is that what it was? I don't have it in front of me. But there were several of these other these loans sent out, right, by the Water Development Board? That, that, that's right. In round numbers, there were about 80 applications for, the, for this funding source, this very low interest funding source. The Water Development Board picked 10 of them. We were one of the 10. Our application was fully supported by our state delegation, which it, uh, Chairman Todd Hunter, uh, Senator uh, Chewy Hinojosa, and, and Chairman uh, Abel Herrero. They all fully supported this. And from a water development standpoint, uh, they think it's a great project. Otherwise, uh, you know, for every one that was approved, seven were not. Are you still there? The, uh, okay, good. Yeah. I thought I lost you for a second. Yeah, seven were not approved. So in, in hindsight, yeah. for everyone, in your opinion, the city of Corpus Christi would have been foolish not to take this low-interest $11 million loan to further this project along. That, that's right, and we still have the ability to, to build a plant, uh, and, and we don't have to take the max amount, and we don't have to take any. And we've got about 15, 16 months to decide, okay, uh, if we want to use this financing to build a plant, uh, you know, we've got 16 months to do it. Now, to me, I haven't, we're close to the threshold, but have we uh, hit the threshold yet to build a plant? 
uh, we're not quite there yet. So maybe we need to build it, maybe and not. But the- Councilman, I, I want to move on real quick because we're getting a little short on time here. But there's another, you mentioned earlier, Barisi Village. Okay. And yes. you know where I'm going with this. Jeff Blackard, North Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thoughts on North Beach? Just lay it out there. Well, we've got two completely different projects. Barisi Village is a basically a, a simple project on there, comparable to one that Mr. Blackard uh, did in McKinney, Texas, with it. Uh, be great for the area. We've got a great possum trap and homeless trap right now in Pharaoh Valley. North Beach, North Beach has a lot of potential on there, but also it's a complex issue, Matt, with it. We hear a lot about North Beach flooding. Why does North Beach flood? It's, it's not because it doesn't drain well. It's because it's low. Uh, you have a lot of places in North Beach that are two feet above sea level. Well, if we have a three-foot tide, what's going to happen? It's flooded. So we've got a real elevation issue in North Beach, and the canal project doesn't solve that. Talking about complexities with it, it calls for a T-shaped canal, and to to build a uh, get permitted for a canal these days, the Corps of Engineers doesn't want a T. They want the end circulation on the ends. They don't want to see dead water. They want to see water going through there and fresh water and circulation. So it's permitting. It's got its challenges. Uh, the outlet right now calls for going through GLO Beach. GLO has some concern on what it'll do to that beach as far as erosion of the beach. Here's another really big one. To get a Corps of Engineers permit, you have to control the right-of-way. One-third of that canal, Matt, is sitting on Harbor Bridge TxDOT right-of-way. TxDOT has said, we're not going to do anything with that right-of-way until the Harbor Bridge is complete. So we, we don't know what's going to happen to the right-of-way. TxDOT's saying if you use it for transportation purposes, you know, we'll, we may give it to you. But if you've got area in that right-of-way that's not, you're going to have to pay market value for it. That's something that's not in any calculation. So what I'm saying, the complexity of this project being in a coastal environment and a vulnerable coastal environment are huge. Well, we've been working on the water exchange bridge now on the island where we're getting ready. You know, dirt's going to be flying in, in another four weeks on that. But we're 16 years into it. It's not near as complex as the North Beach project. Is, are you concerned, and, and, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but, but I, I feel like I almost have to, Councilman. Are you, are you concerned that, obviously, since it is such a complex issue, are you concerned whether or not the developer, Jeff Blackard, has enough experience to do this job? Well, it's it's a public project, so if if we're going to do it, it, it it's going to be on us, the city of Corpus Christi, or another agency uh, to do it because so much of it covers uh, a public arena, and you've got all these utilities involved with it. And I I second, I fully support a TERS uh, on North Beach. I, you know, we can do things with North Beach, but uh, a project of this magnitude, if we're going to go down that road, there's going to 
be a lot of taxpayer participation in this. It cannot be built uh, off of the tax base on North Beach. Not now. Or, so if or somebody comes and says, okay, look, we need to uh, let, let private industry take all the risk with desal, but yet we're going to throw a whole bunch of taxpayer money at North Beach. Uh, what do you say to that? I mean, because obviously there is that component. Some people say, hey, look, you know what? Let, let private industry build desal, let them operate it, let them take it. The city will buy water from it. Uh, you know, and then you have North Beach. It's going to be development, a lot of improvements and a, a very intensive project. What do you say to people who would argue, hey, look, that's worth taxpayer dollars? Well, we, we need to have a strong and robust conversation. What the true cost is on it. I mean, this and is so probably we're a doing the water itself. I mean. Oh, it, it, it may be several on there, and, and we, we need to honest and open. North Beach is kind of like standing on an ant pile. You stand on there, you're just minding your own business, and suddenly uh, you start feeling the bites. And politically, if you say anything that somebody thinks is detrimental to North Beach, I mean, the ants start biting you on it. Uh, so to, to bring up uh, potential issues on there, and, and I brought them up, and, and I've uh, got the wrath from uh, about this. When, when I talk about it's an elevation problem, not a flooding problem, uh, things have been written that I'm crazy, and you know, here, here I'm the one that's worked on both Mustang and Padre Island and understand coastal issues better than anybody on council, and uh, I'm being portrayed as, as a naysayer, even though I've uh, supported North Beach and the TERS uh, ever since I've been on council. But this, again, going back to this, this is going to be a very complicated project. And it's going to obviously involve a lot of public money involved here. Uh, and, and do you believe that the city has done enough due diligence and we should just go ahead and get on with North Beach? Or are we, are we a long way from that? We, we're a long, long way from it. And, and privately, a lot of the engineering community have expressed concerns to me about the lack of homework, so to speak, on this project and, and what, the, what the true costs are. Are you concerned that there's some, some local interest involved here? I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's one argument that says, the developer is out of the Dallas area. You know, they just don't want to let him into the game. Uh, you know, here locally, you would say what to that argument? We, we've got a, law, a strong local content to, to North Beach with it. And uh, the, the developer, the Dallas developer, Jeff Blackard, is, he's heading up a, a good uh, Vista Point project. I've gone and, and looked at it. It's a well-built on there. So You are uh, confident in that project. I, I, uh, yes, he, he's building a good project, and uh, he's partnered up with uh, – a local on there who's, who's a true believer in, in North Beach. And it, it's a quality project for North Beach. Now that uh, effect on the taxpayers is, is minimal with it. Uh, they came to us uh, and asked us for $600,000 in, in public improvements, extending some utilities to that, which we granted uh, on there. And when I'm talking about North Beach, 
this same group is, is looking at building a hotel there. And, and as part of the TERS, it, uh, we granted $8 million. It's $7.8 million in incentives. I supported that because they said it's going to be a five-star hotel. And when I talked to them privately, I said, that's a game changer for North Beach. No, but this isn't hundred million dollars or, or, or more than that. And, and again, we're talking to uh, Councilman Greg Smith, District 4, Corpus Christi. Uh, Councilman, I want to thank you very much. We, we've tied you up here for an hour almost. And I, I really appreciate you coming on here and let me ask you some of these questions and, and really throwing this stuff out there to you. Um, but I want to give you the chance. You've got, what, two, two three opponents? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, I, yeah, I have three opponents. opponents right now. Um, mm-hmm. to, to, to reach out to your voters, your constituents, uh, across your entire 20, 30, 26-mile long district, uh, I want to give you the floor to make a pitch to them right here about why Greg Smith needs their vote and what you have done for your district while you've been on council and what you plan to do. Corpus Christi... Yeah, that is my home. It, on my mom's side, I'm fifth generation Corpus Christi. So Corpus Christi, I'm I'm not here today, gone tomorrow. So important to me. My grandchildren now living in Corpus Christi, making sure we've got a good community that the future generations uh, will love like I do with it. And we've We've got this diverse community on there and just improving it. Corpus Christi's had its ups and downs and I've seen its ups and I want to, to bring that ups back. And I, I think we are doing it. Corpus Christi, despite the virus, we're on a roll. We're making a lot of changes. We're paving streets on there. We're upgrading our infrastructure. We're improving maintenance. We're working on our airport. All those things for the last 20 or 30 years have been forgotten. Now we're coming back and doing that heavy lifting and doing this in the four years I've been on council, debt is down by over $220 million on there. We're building more streets for less money now than we did before. Where our water system now is, has a superior rating rather than known as water boil city with it. We are securing our long range water supplies with it. And we've instituted things that were never done before. So on our water system, like I said earlier, we have drought resistant water supplies in the future. We have a threshold when we expand the water supplies. Now we're doing the surcharge on industry never before to pay for the water supplies on there. And we've got two big customers coming in. And with them, we require them, you're going to pay for the water whether you use it or not. Because if we have to build in additional infrastructure, we need to be guaranteed you're going to get that money. These things have never been done before in the city of Corpus Christi. When we're talking about District 4, we've got a lot of things going on. Ocean Drive that we talked about earlier, Laguna Shores, the Water Exchange Bridge on the island, 16 years in the workings. It's going to be going. Some drainage areas, Williams Ditch, that uh, this is an area that's flooded uh, Greenway Gardens 
for years, 20 years. We're getting ready to improve that. So it's this block and tackling kind of stuff that we're doing. The airport's very important to me. I spent a lot of time on the airport. Our airport has been in decline mm-hmm. for 20 years with it. We brought in new people. We're advertising the airport. We're looking for air service. We're no longer going to, oh, the status quo is acceptable. It's not acceptable. Our CVB, we realize the importance of the beaches. So we are, the status quo is not acceptable. We're growing, we're changing. And uh, I asked the voters that uh, I've worked hard on that for four years and I want to continue for the, the next two years. I've got a, I've got a history. I've got a record. So, this isn't rhetoric. This is what's been accomplished. And Councilman, uh, I want to. I said that was going to be the end of. But there is one question that that, that I was reminded just now that, that I need to get to, and and I had it sitting here in my notes. But, um, and we'll end on this. Uh, you talk about a lot um, about the airport and about where the city's going and about the city staff and the changes that you've seen in the city. One key component of that is the city manager, Peter Zanoni. Are you still satisfied with Peter Zanoni? And what is your working relationship with city manager Zanoni? When we hired the city manager, and I speak for, I I can't speak for all nine council, but the status quo was not acceptable. We wanted a change in our culture and our management in the city. So uh, when we, we hired him, that was our expectation. He is delivering on those expectations. We have 3,100 employees working for the city of Cor- Corpus Christi. The culture, the environment they work in is so important. And it's the city manager that sets that culture. And he is changing that culture. I'm seeing a vibrancy that I didn't see before at city council. I see things getting done that I didn't see before at city council. And we've got a lot of good people that work for the city. We just needed that, the quarterback sitting there, calling the right plays, taking advantage of the players we have, and bringing in some others too, where we did have some weaknesses on there. And and one thing he's done is – We've had some upper management that uh, they've left one way or another because they don't fit into this new way of doing business in, in Corpus Christi uh, with it. And, and I'm really proud of what uh, Peter Zanoni has done for our city. He's very he's become a Corpus Christian with it. And uh, I have a very good working relationship. And you are with. you are still very confident in, in Peter Zanoni and the direction he's taking the city, he, he has your vote of confidence. He, he has my vote of confidence on there because we are moving forward for with a city. And if we didn't have this virus, you know, we were hitting on the cylinders now uh, on all the fronts with it. And, and I know the perception is, oh, the city of Corpus Christi out here, they can't uh, do anything right or anything else. But that is changing. And I was one of those. Uh, I, I saw it just like everybody, but being so close to it, I'm seeing those changes every day, how we're doing better as a city, uh, delivering what we need to do our citizens. City Councilman Greg Smith, District 4, Corpus Christi. I appreciate you coming on here and, and being so open and honest with your feelings about this and, and letting us have this uh, frank discussion with you here on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. 
anytime, Matt. It's my great pleasure. Again, I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. I, I think it's been a very productive conversation. Councilman Greg Smith, District 4, Corpus Christi. Thank you, Councilman. All right, take Thank care. you, Matt. This podcast has been brought to you by our generous members and our business sponsors such as Skyroam, affordable, dependable wireless internet on the go. For more information on Skyroam and their products and services, visit www.skyroam.com to learn more. That's www.skyroam.com. Again, this has been an interview with Corpus Christi City Councilman Greg Smith. We'd like to thank Councilman Smith for his time and participation. As always, for the latest news and information on local, regional, and state politics and public policy, visit our website, www.southsidelightnews.com. Until next week, I'm Matt Pierce Briscoe. We'll talk to you then.